0: Our guest today, Howard Storm, was born in Newton, Massachusetts, and earned a graduate degree in art from the University of California, Berkeley. He became an art professor at Northern Kentucky University, a position he held for 20 years. During that time, prior to his near-death experience, Professor Storm described himself as a confirmed atheist. In June 1985, Storm and his wife took a group of his students on a field trip to Paris, where he suffered a sudden-onset of severe abdominal pain from a duodenal perforation. While awaiting surgery at a Paris hospital with his wife, Storm passed out and began a profound NDE involving elements of both heaven and hell uh, that radically changed the direction of his life. As a result of that NDE, Howard became involved with the church, entered the seminary, and was ordained. He served as Pastor of Zion United Church of Christ in Norwood, Ohio from 1992 to 2005, and serves as a pastor to this day. Reverend Storm is also an artist and the author of several books, including My Descent into Death and his latest, Befriend God, Life with Jesus. Howard, welcome to NDE Radio. Hi,
1: thank you, Lee, for having me.
0: Oh, it's it's wonderful to have you here. Howard, one of the unique and most alarming aspects of your NDE was the nature of the tormented souls who met you and tried to lure you into a dark and frightening place. And because we only have half an hour, I wonder if we could begin with your out-of-body experience at that Paris hospital and the nature of the spirits you met there.
1: Sure. Um, one of the things that I experienced was after um, you described it that I passed up but I think that I died um, was that I felt better than I'd ever felt in my whole life, more alive. Physically, my senses were um, very heightened, um, extremely heightened. And I thought I was doing terrific, but I was also aware that I was in a situation where I'd been waiting 10 hours for a surgery and um, thought that the people that were calling me outside the room were hospital staff to take me to surgeries. And I asked them, and uh, they answered with things like, um, we know all about you. We've been waiting for you. Hurry, you must come with us. So I thought that they were um hospital personnel. So I left the room, which was light and bright, and went out into the hallway, which was very gray and foggy. And they encircled me and led me down the hall. We walked for um an amount of time that can't be calculated. But if I were to try to, to duplicate it in this world, it would be a walk of um, many, many miles, maybe like 50 or 100 miles or something. And I became aware that this was all um, impossible uh, and there were no architectural features in the hallway. There were no walls, no ceiling, just this surface that we walked on and the people surrounding me. And as we moved, the group got larger and larger and when I started to uh, question them, they got hostile. And they were saying, um, shut up, you'll find out, you don't need to know, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, Um, and as I questioned them periodically in this long, long walk, their tone got harsher and harsher, and then I um, found that they were uh, beginning to uh, talk in whispers about me, and uh, I became very frightened. We were moving along, and I wasn't, I'm immediately aware of it, but it was getting darker and darker and we finally reached a place of complete darkness and I was terrified. Um, I had no hope, no faith in the people that were around me because they were getting very hostile. And I said, I'm not going any further. And they said, Oh, yes, you are. You got to keep moving. And I refused to move on. And that they, they started to push and pull at me and I fought back and I knew how to fight. I played football in high school and stuff and I knew how to, um, Hit and take hits, but there were a lot of them. I suspect there might have been hundreds of them. I don't know because it was complete dark. I just know by their voices and the noise and the hits and, um, they were playing with me because if with that, that size group and me, they could have, um, defeated me and it would have been all over, but instead it was just a game of, um, torment. Hmm. And eventually, um, besides pushing and hitting and kicking, it turned into biting and tearing, and that went on, and then that um, degenerated into uh, intrusions into my body. And I don't, I don't talk about that anymore. Never have, never will.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, eventually, I was on the floor of that place, and I'd been eviscerated and torn up, and I couldn't move. And the physical pain was um, overwhelming, but much worse than the physical pain was the emotional pain that I was experiencing inside. And I heard a voice which seemed to be emanating from my chest and it said, pray to God. And I thought, what a stupid idea. I don't believe in God. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't, I couldn't pray if I wanted to, because I don't know how to pray. I don't pray. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, When I was a little boy and went to Sunday school, they taught us some prayers, but I couldn't remember any of them. So I'm trying to think of things that had uh, um, a prayer-like quality. And I came up with the Pledge of Allegiance and the National Anthem and (laughs) Shylock's Speech of the Merchant of Venice and (laughs) Gettysburg Gettysburg Address by Abraham Lincoln. I was coming up with all this stuff that I remembered. Finally, I hit upon um, a line from the 23rd Psalm, the first line, and the first line from the Lord's Prayer. And I murmured these things um, in the hopes that I could remember more of the prayers. And when I murmured these mentions of God, like the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. um, The people around me became extremely angry and were saying to me, there is no God, nobody can hear you, and we're going to make things much worse for you now. But I also noticed that any mention of God not only didn't make them terribly angry and they were screaming threats at me and all kinds of um, obscenities, it also drove them off further and further. So I started um, hurling mentions of God at them, and some of them weren't really pretty, but um, it didn't matter. It had the effect of driving them off. So um, in a short order, I found myself alone in that place, and I realized that I had driven them beyond their ability to hear me. I don't know how far they were gone in the darkness, but they were far enough away that they couldn't respond. I couldn't hear them and they couldn't hear me. And so I lay there and had an opportunity to think about my life and I went over my life. And in the, and that was a very long period of time that I went over my life because I went over it in great detail and I came to the conclusion that I hadn't, um, not had good relations with my parents, my sisters, my, uh wife, my kids, my students, my neighbors, my friends, that there was a lot lacking in my life because I had been a um, very selfish, manipulative uh, jerk. And I realized that I had ended up in a place with people that had lived lives similar to the kind of life that I would lived and that it was right and proper that I was there, that I'd gone down the cesspool of the universe, and there was no escape for me. And in that place of complete despair and hopelessness, um, my mind recollected back to my childhood again of being in Sunday school and singing "Jesus Loves Me," and I felt and recollected the faith that I had in this supernatural being, this wonderful, kind gentle, loving person named Jesus who, when I was a little boy, prayed to him when I had nightmares and in my bed and he um, chased away the monsters and comforted me and gave me a good night's sleep. And so um, not having any idea whether that was a childhood fantasy or whether it was real, I called out to him and to my delight and surprise, he came to me. He came in um, as a being of impossibly brilliant white light very rapidly and came over me and out of the light came hands and then arms and he reached down to the ground and touched me and when he touched me all of my wounds which were now visible to me healed before my eyes and he filled me with his love and his hands went behind my back and he picked me up and held me up close to him and held me tight and rubbed my back, and I wept for joy in his arms. He carried me out of that place, and we traveled up into space. Do you want me to keep going?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Um, You're in your spirit body, and yet you could feel pain as if it were a physical body when they were tormenting you. Uh, um, And I think somewhere I I recall you're saying – that, um, they were feeling better. These, these, uh, I guess fallen. Well, let me ask you, were they fall, fallen angels or were they, uh, people who had, uh, had gone to hell that dragged you out of that place?
1: I, I'm, I'm completely clear. I'm completely clear. There were people that had
0: gone to hell. Okay. And are they, are, are they forever condemned on that account? Is there, I mean, if, they were repulsed by your talking about God, and completely vanquished by your naming Jesus. But um, is there no is there no hope for them? Do you think?
1: Um, two things. One is there's always hope. God is a God of hope, um, and so we can never count anyone out, even the people that have gone to hell. Jesus went to hell during his death. Yes. And he brought people out of hell. Um, so there's always hope. Um, but, um, and there's no, and, and in God's time, there's no forever. God's time is completely different than our sense of time. The word eternal, which is used frequently in the Bible, does not exist in the Greek or Hebrew language there is no such word as eternal in those languages and so um a more accurate translation would be they are there for that period of time mm-hmm. it's very ambivalent what what it means by that um there's also the possibility that they may um achieve annihilation if that's what they want
0: yeah of course uh, in a in a timeless moment that's an eternal moment as well if 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 there is no such thing as time and it becomes an eternal moment then then they really i mean you might as well call it eternity in that case. I wanted to also um ask you do you do you think those um uh, physical wounds in your spiritual body were um uh, uh just a physical manifestation of a psychological uh, battle between love and hate
1: well I think it was more mundane than is. Um I was a materialist. I believed that science was the truth and the only truth, and there was no other truth but what science taught. So when I died, um, I carried my conscious ego understanding of who and what I was, which was a physical being, into this experience. Um, during my experience, when Jesus took me out of there and I went up to heaven, heaven um, my understanding of who and what I was began to change. Yes. Um and I was getting a different body, but that's another story.
0: Okay. Um What do you suppose the differences might be between tormented souls and fallen angels?
1: Um, the tormented souls are powerless. That's why see Um, God didn't make hell a nasty place. Hell is just separation from God. That's all it is. It's the people in hell that make it such an awful experience because they um, their behavior is just um, terrible towards each other because they have nothing else down there. Mm. It's absence of everything but their own um, angst and hopelessness and despair. So they just taunt. They just turn on each other. But uh, fallen angels so they're they they really have no power. Fallen angels um, retain angelic powers. In other words, they're they're working, working, working all the time, uh in this world and in the next, um, you know, being opposed to God. But the they, I, I know what their plan is, is. They have a very simple plan. It's called chaos. Um, mm. They don't have. There isn't any big plan other than their opposition to God's um, purpose and order.
0: Okay. Um, one other question before we move on to Jesus. Uh, you, when you talked about God or were thinking about God um, in that dark place, you were pushing them away. Um, when you called on the name of Jesus, you were basically saved from that place. Now, a non-Christian, which basically I guess you were, although you'd been raised Christian, would have some power in calling on their God. Do you think that they could be saved from that situation the way you were if they weren't familiar with Jesus? Um,
1: Jesus has... Um, a lot of uh, friends in this world that ne- have never heard of Jesus. Yes. Matter of fact, his name wasn't Jesus. His name was, you know, Yeshua, of course, or the Messiah. And my understanding of Judaism is that Jews believe in the Messiah. So, um, if so, I mean, the Greek ang- anglicized version of Messiah is the Christ. So, I would assume that if uh, Jew called on uh, the Messiah, which I'm not pronouncing in proper Hebrew, but um, he would know that. And God judges by the heart. We judge by appearances. So it is my assumption that God knows his own very well and recognizes them, no matter what their culture, no matter what their language, and no matter what their Religion. Because religion is ultim I mean, religion's a good thing. I'm a pastor, you know, I, like that's what I do for is promote religion. But um religion is superficial compared to the true love of God and the true love of our fellow
0: humans. Yes. Um so do you think if and I think I believe this as well, if someone a non a non Christian, a say a Muslim or a Hindu um, called, with a good heart, called out to be saved from a bad situation, that uh, Jesus would come. Maybe he wouldn't appear to them as Jesus, but that that, uh, that salvation would be available to them as well.
1: Yeah, the uh, interesting thing is that there was a study of near death experiences in India, which is uh, reported and several literatures, including the book Imagine Heaven by John Burke, in which, um, when they studied, uh, Hindus who had had near death experiences, they, um, they all reported that they, none of them ever saw any of the Hindu gods, but they did see a man in a white robe, um, with a long beard and they didn't know his name who uh, saved them. Wonderful. I know, I know his name.
0: Yes. And I do
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> Or one of his many names.
0: <laughs> well, tell us, tell us about Jesus. And what happened to you, uh, once he, once he, uh, wrapped his arms around you?
1: Um, the two really important things. One is that, um, his love is beyond any experience of love that we have in this world. So it's, um, ultimately ineffable, but because it's so important, you know, I feel compelled and lots of other people in this world millions of them want to talk about his love, although we don't really have adequate language to express it because it's um, sort of more than all the uh, experiences of love that we've ever had. So his love was so overwhelming. But the other pr- thing that I want to uh, point out is that in my experience with him, he really likes me. He really likes us. And um, his hope and his purpose and his joy is that we live our lives um, successfully and joyfully and happily. And he is not um, this sort of uh, arbitrary judge who wants to um, condemn us or punish us. That's um, not his purpose at all. When we do things against the will of God, which is known with the big technical term sin, um, When we do those things, all we're doing is hurting ourselves. And he, you know, like he doesn't want us to uh, hurt ourselves. He wants us to have a good life. And so when we um, go against the love of God, go against the love of our fellow human beings and go against the love of ourselves, um, it's very disappointing. And he wants us not to do that kind of behavior.
0: He, you said that he took you to heaven um what did you see there well he took
1: me outside of heaven we did later on when i asked him about heaven he gave me a tour but um i was never um uh, actually a candidate for heaven um but um heaven is vast and the only way that i can describe it and the way he described to me everything that Ever was that's good everything that is good and everything that ever will be good is already in heaven because to God everything is now there's no past there's no future although God has that all sorted out and God's some um, incredible mind um, awareness consciousness omniscience and so anything that we would like to experience that's good Is there and we can be a part of it. So if your thing is, uh, idyllic woodlands, you get idyllic woodlands. If you want beautiful cities, there's beautiful cities. If you, you know, if you want, um, ocean, there's ocean. But the, the important thing about heaven is of course that all the people there are loving and kind and good and I'm so happy to help us grow in this new wonderland. And the centerpiece of heaven that everyone's very aware of is uh, God, and that's um, the greatest experience of heaven at all, that when we are ready, which may take a bit um, before we're ready, we get to go into that presence. But nobody goes into heaven and sees God like right off because nobody's ready because you have to be like
0: Christ, meaning pure, perfect so do you do you envision um, a place that the Catholics might call purgatory a place where we continue to evolve spiritually before we can go to heaven
1: um, I heard a Catholic priest explain purgatory once that made a lot of sense to me being a Protestant I knew nothing about it except that it's not good to sell indulgences to get people out of purgatory that's
0: <laughs> yes no. Martin Luther would agree with you yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah and the way the priest explained purgatory to to the audience was is that it's not Um. there isn't there is no place of purgatory it's a state of being and what it what it means and the root of the word is is that it's purgation it's being purified so I'm all for it I'm a hundred percent all about being purified matter of fact that's what I'm um, I'm kind of in like pre purgatory now and when I get to heaven um I'm looking forward to my purgation into perfection, into purity, and mm-hmm. I pray for that every day.
0: Um Do you th- do you think that purgatory then is a sort of soul sleep like some uh some religions teach?
1: Absolutely not. Our our purgation is not sleeping. It's very, it's very, it's work. It's conscious, it's consciously waking up to the truth of who and what we are and what we've done and repentance and forgiveness and um, reconciliation
0: with God. But it's not taking place in a place. Many, many near death experiencers find themselves in a beautiful field with flowers and trees and loved ones. Uh, they, uh, they think that they have come to heaven.
1: Well, they, heaven's got many, 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 many levels. Like, mm. There's not nine or 16. There's like a lot more. And so that, that field could be their the beginning of their purgation. Purgation doesn't necessarily mean whips and chains. I mean, God is not a sadomasochist, you know? People yes. gotta get that image of God out of their heads. It's, it's a sick satanic image of God. The other guy, Satan is the sadomasochist, you know? Yes. Um, if, if you want an image for God, think of a really nice grandfather
0: or grandmother. <laughs> this is a good image. <laughs> well, when, when, uh, um, Jesus gave you a, a preview of heaven, uh, the way you're describing it, it sounds very individualized. If you want woods, you get woods. And if you want a city, you get a city. Um, did you see your own individualized heaven when he showed you? No, we just toured. So you saw the the variations that different people yeah. have have opted for. Oh, that, that, it sounds wonderful. Let me ask you one other question. Since we were on Purgatory and and uh, working uh, working our way toward Jesus, um, what do you think about reincarnation? It's not
1: true. I talked to Jesus about it. Um, he he told me definitively. Other than um, Miscarriages and abortions and um, stillbirths and uh, infant deaths. Nobody comes back to this world. Um, there are opportunities for people to experience other worlds and other places. But this Jesus explained to me this world is um, a very, very low spiritual uh, planet. There's much uh, more evolved planets in the universe and um, there's no reason for anybody to come back here this this place isn't um, this this is like nursery school
0: did he hold out much hope for earth
1: oh yeah he want um, he wants this world to change radically and become like a um, like the Garden of Eden which is going to happen and it's not too far off it's just um, it's either going to happen with our cooperation or it's going to happen without a cooperation.
0: Would that mean a second coming? Yes. Would that happen regardless of whether we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, spiritual bootstraps, or, or if we fail entirely?
1: Well, a second coming would be welcomed by all people who are looking forward to a, a better world. I mean, but uh, God wants God wants us to do it. God wants worldwide conversion to love and peace and hope and faith and joy and goodness and self-control and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And if it happens, the second coming will be the most joyous event in human history. And if people um, hate those sorts of things, which lots of people do, then it's going to be very painful.
0: Yes. Um, it, did he show you uh, any future um, p- pictures of, of um of where America is going.
1: Yes, he he showed me the two different scenarios and made it clear to me that it's up to decide which way we want to go. But the the good future is definitely going to happen. And it's not when, in 1985. He told me what he was showing me was 200 years away.
0: Ah, uh, so that we're not looking at imminent nuclear war or anything like that.
1: He told me there would be no nuclear war.
0: It's not going to happen. God's not going to allow that. That's, that's a good thing to, to hear. Yeah. Wow. But how do we overcome our obsessions with money and power and greed and class and all the things that we're suffering from right now?
1: Oh, he gave, he gave me the, the whole, uh, the whole program. And here it is. You ready? Yes. Love one another.
0: Yeah. That's, that's what I suspected. Well, Howard, we have gone right through our half hour. Uh, Uh, take, Take a little time and um, tell people how they might um, acquaint themselves with your art and find your books.
1: Um, I have a webpage, howardstorm.com, and
0: there's links to my books on that. Okay. And your recent book is all about Jesus, isn't it? Yes. Uh, tell us a little about that.
1: Um, since I think that knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him is the most important thing in life, um, i wanted to write a book of it's called christology and um, i tried to write it um, very straightforward and a couple of passages have told me that it would be good to use in a confirmation class or for, um, it's it's pretty traditional um, but it's what i believe i mean i i but I, I worked it within uh the conventional mainstream understanding of uh who christ is mm.
0: Well, Howard, thank you so much for uh, sharing your inspirational story with us on NDE Radio. Um, It's been been a joy to talk to you today. Um, My thanks again to Reverend Howard Storm. If you would like to hear this program again or any of our more than 230 programs to date, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For more information about IANS, please go to their website at iands.org. And uh, be with us again next week, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.